Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome along to the Outlawed Rugby League podcast, episode 12. As always, my name is Mark and I have a beer in my hand this week. It is a Stella Artois. This episode, that makes me sound like an alcoholic. This episode, uh, I really, really enjoyed doing. Uh, so I managed to to get hold of and, and catch up with a, in fairness, a blockbuster of rugby league. You know, three-time NRL winner, winner of state of origin with New South Wales, Australian international, and of course, won the Challenge Cup with Wigan as well. None other than Ryan Hoffman. Really appreciate everyone's guesses and everything like that on social media. And of course, you know, I was I was inundated, to be fair, with, with questions for Ryan. So... Thanks so much to everyone for, for sending any questions. I got through as many as I could in the, obviously the time that we had, sort of the time I had with Ryan. Um, so I hope, you know, you get the answers that you wanted. But yeah, like I say, sit back, relax, enjoy this one. Genuinely, really, really enjoyed doing this one. And he is genuinely a really good guy of rugby league as well. So ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ryan Hoffman. Welcome along to three-time NRL champion and a true blockbuster of the rugby league world, Ryan Hoffman. Welcome along, mate. How are you, uh, how are you keeping with everything that's going on? Yeah, th- thanks for having me. First off, um, yeah, look, it's it's get, getting through the unknown. I, I suppose is the biggest thing. Everyone just wants information. Everyone just wants an end date. Uh, fortunately, down here in the NRL, we've been giving uh, been, been given a start date. So looks like May twenty eight is uh, is going ahead with uh, with a twenty round season. So I think everyone's looking forward to seeing rugby league back on their screens. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's kind of as as we record now. It's it's very very fresh in terms of of the news. I think it was only yesterday it was announced. But again, today, kind of over here in the UK, we've had announcements of of French Rugby League having problems, you know, with the Catalans Dragons and, and Toulouse. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how we kind of um, progress from here. But it's, it's definitely a, a positive thing for you guys, you know, and, and it'll be positive for us to, to get some sport back on the telly as well. You know, yes, yeah, d- d- definitely. I, th- I think that's what um, you know the world's the world's crying out for a bit. Everyone's stuck <laughs> at home, but there, there's no there's no sport to watch. And I suppose the most intriguing part about this whole um, sort of pandemic situation is how different places are handling it, and uh, and you know, especially like within the world, how different countries handle it. But even within Australia, how how different states are handling, which is uh, yeah, it's always going to draw criticism. You're never going to keep everyone happy, but as long as people are safe, um, I say go on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right in what you're saying there, you know, people are always going to have their perceptions and, you know, they're going to have their opinions, but ultimately, like you say, people are crying out for sport and, from a, I suppose from a selfish perspective, if we can get as much rugby league on the telly before everything else comes back, then you know we might we might capture a few more fans as well, which can only be a good thing. Yeah, so look, it's a great opportunity. If if rugby league is, you know, one of the, one of one of the only sports going on in the world, I mean, it's a great chance to get into a, into the US market. It's a great chance, obviously, to get into uh, Asia and all those sort of places, major sporting markets. And if we're the only thing for them to watch on TV, I mean, it's a great opportunity. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So think back then. Talk to me about kind of how you first got involved in rugby league when you were a youngster. Yeah, I was born into it. Um, my dad, um, my dad Jay, he played for the, he was one of the original Canberra Raiders. Um, he, he went down when the, when the club first started from, from Brisbane. He was originally going down there for two years. Uh, ended up staying down there for six. Um, he, he absolutely loved his time in, in Canberra. You know, he was there at the early days when basically they just copped the hiding week in, week out. But it really set, to, set it in stone for what the club was going to be. He played, played over 100 games for the Raiders and, um, you know, was very proud. And I was born um, during his... Uh, during his third season, at the start of his third season in Canberra, and uh, when Dad retired, um, he, he got a he got a chance to to get a job in Sydney. So I uh, moved up to Sydney, and that, that's that's when I started playing uh, rugby league from five years old. And look, I've I've got faint memories of of going of of going to training with Dad, um, you know, mucking around. Matty uh, Giddo. Uh, Ron Giddo's son, who played for the Raiders, Matty Giddo, obviously played for the yeah, Wallabies yeah. and uh, still playing in Japan. Um, sort of grew up together, um, get, going to training. Our dads would, would t- take us to training, and yeah, I remember running around the field. You got faint memories of Mal, Mal Meninga and all those sort of guys. And wow. ironically, the bloke who ended up coaching me in first grade was there as well, Craig Bellamy. So uh, wow. yeah, look, I, I played. Um, I played rugby league in Sydney and then we moved around a lot as a family. We moved to Adelaide. I played soccer in Adelaide. Then we moved back to Sydney, went back to rugby league. Then we went to New Zealand. So I played a bit of rugby union. Then we moved back to Adelaide. And I 
played a bit of union there. And when we finally moved back to Sydney, I uh, started playing rugby league and played anything else since. Wow. Fair enough. So it's, mm. you know, it's, like I say, it's quite a, uh, a baptism of fire. And, you know, I think for that sort of era of the Canberra Raiders, you're, you're right in what you're saying. It was very much uh, kind of being the whipping boys. However, you know, you, you wouldn't have it any other way now with, with Canberra. And it, you've definitely got to have an NRL side down there. So oh, yeah. am I... Am I right in saying that you then ended up at the famous St. George's College in Campbelltown now? Uh, it's St. Gregory's College. St. Gregory's, Greg- apologies. Yeah, no, that, that's fine. Yeah, no, it's just St. Gregory's College obviously had, um, you know, it, it's been a bit of a rugby league nursery for a very long time out there in Campbelltown in Western New South, uh, Western Sydney. I, uh, yeah, we, we sort of lived in Campbelltown and I, I only wanted to go there because I knew of the rugby league sort of <laughs> sort, sort of history. And uh, yeah, look, I absolutely, like many people say, they hated school. I loved it. I didn't do well in it, but uh, but I, I loved it. I loved playing footy. I lo- loved my mates. I was a it was a boarding school, but I, I was a day student. Um, but yeah, look, it was a fantastic, f- fantastic school. They really took rugby league um, seriously. There, it was an agricultural school, so there was um, a lot of boarders from from country towns. So you know, they're, they're tough country kids with you know playing footy, and uh, I was I was lucky enough to play three years of. Um, the first 13, the, the f- first grade team at the school. And we won uh, won the schoolboys title my first year, got runners up the second year and um, didn't go that well in my third year. <laughs> no, I get that. I mean, from my kind of personal experience, I, I went to a pretty decent high school. And then at the age of 16, you know, over here, we go to something called sixth form. We go mm. to, to college. Um, and I turned around to my mum and dad and said, look, I don't want to go to the sixth form. I want to go to Gateshead College because, it, you know, again, it was where all my mates were going. I was playing for, you know, I was just getting into playing for Gator Thunder at the time. And, mm. and kind of my mum went, I'm sorry, like, what? And my dad went, no, I get it. I get it. And, you know, it was probably one of the best things I did. I mean, the the biggest advice I can give to people is, is you know, follow what, what you want to do. And, you know, if sport is your thing, go to that college, go to that university, whatever it is. And, you know, it certainly helped me out. I mean, it certainly helped you out as well. Yeah, probably d- a bit more than it did me. <laughs> yeah, oh, well. No, look, it was it, it was great. Like they, obviously, they had the traditional rugby league, but you know, it was it was in the town, and um, you know, I, I ended up playing with with quite a few of those guys. Um, you know, the, I, I loved the history of it. There was a lot of tradition. There was a bit of that old school rara sort of stuff that I, I abs- yeah. abs- absolutely loved. With the you know, the whole school forms a guard of honour when you go out to a game, and when the games are televised, the whole school goes out there and they're singing songs and chanting. Like I, I, I really loved that. It was, um, you know, it was something very special, and I, I absolutely loved all, all, my, all my years at St Greg's. Yeah, you definitely don't get that over here. I mean, you look at kind of some of the college sports in America, and, and again, Australia. It's, you know, it's just a different level to what it is over here, and I think that's could be one of the racking so much in in terms of international sport i mean we're getting there a little bit more in terms of rugby league and you know the olympics etc but yeah i think you know we can certainly take a take a leaf out of the australian and, and the american book to be fair so yeah the call comes from melbourne storm in 2003 how easy was that decision to to move to yet another state yeah well i was i was on scholarship with the um with the west tigers because um uh, d- during school um because out, out west there was the the western suburbs part of the West Tigers um, merger, mm-hmm. so I was uh, I was on scholarship with the, with the Tigers, but I I don't know I, I wanted something more. It was man end of my last year at school, and um, I I had uh, I I got picked for the Aussie schoolboys that year, and um, I got I got I got approached from from a couple of clubs, and uh, look I was pretty keen to, to leave the Tigers. Um, they, they were they were in a bit of a mess at the moment. They they didn't have a head coach, and you know the team the merge wasn't wasn't going that well, and the t- team was was a bit all over the shop. So I felt like I wanted to change. Uh, in the end, it came down to either the Roosters or Melbourne. Um, I I I the the Roosters offered me more cash, but the storm could offer me the the top squad the the, the top 25 and uh mm. yeah you know, I, I wanted nothing else than to be a professional rugby league player and um that's what i wanted to do so look i, I took the melbourne option but it wasn't just what they could offer me it's also the fact that i wanted to leave home um mm. i i had the best home life in the world pr- probably too good I, I got look after really <laughs> well but i was like i was 18 and i was quite keen to leave home and see what type of man i was going to be and um I got I agreed to to sign with Melbourne. I unfortunately missed the pre Christmas preseason because I was away with the um, 
with the with the Australian schoolboys, uh, actually to England. We were the first Australian schoolboys team to lose to lose a series to England. So that was um, that, that was interesting at the end of two, <laughs> 2002. But when it, when I got down to Melbourne, um, yeah, you know, there, there was no trepidation or anything like that. I was that excited. I didn't know a soul. I did 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 not know anyone. Um, obviously, I I knew Craig and I'd met Craig a few times, but but the, that that was about it. And um, they put me in a in an apartment in the city with a bloke by the name of Cameron Smith, and um, <laughs> we uh, we we started living together. And I remember when I first got down there and about to go to the, from the first training session, I'm sitting in an apartment in the Melbourne CBD. I'm thinking this this is what it's all about. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm about to go start my life as a professional rugby league player. I'm living, you know, with with another bloke. We're living in, in a great city. I don't have to worry about anything else but playing footy. How good is this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, what what more could you want? I, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, when I went to, to university, so I went to university in, in Sheffield and there's a guy up in, in Newcastle, my hometown, a guy called Joe Brown, who's actually a, a Jamaica international. And he got me in touch with, with the Sheffield Eagles and the reserves coach there at the time was a, a gentleman called Dean Thomas. So Dean, Dino used to be coach at the Thunder and then he was, um, like I say, reserves coach down at, uh, down at Sheffield and he was actually Jamaica coach at the time. And I remember signing the contract with him in the back of his car and it was just the most bizarre thing in the world because he, you know, he, he rang me and said, look, I'm outside, outside your apartment type thing, you know, it was student accommodation. And, and he says, I'm outside the apartment come down and, and you can sign a contract and, and that was it but I get that and you know you the I was bizarrely I was actually talking to a guy today um who messaged me on it on Instagram and you know he was talking about his son and he said you know he's a big Leeds Rhinos fan this that, and the other I said look at the end of the day if if your lad wants to go on and play professional rugby league take the the right opportunity for him exactly how you've just described yeah. there between kind of the roosters and the storm you know it's all well and good playing for the you know Leeds Rhinos or Wigan Warriors, but if you can get into a side that, you know, no disrespect to them, but someone like Wakefield and like you say, get into mm. that top 25, you've got more of a chance of, of progressing your career. Definitely. So, I mean, it didn't do you any harm to be fair, did it? <laughs> no, well, that, well for, for me, for me, it wasn't about like, I was 18 years old. It wasn't about money. It was about getting my opportunity. It was yeah. about like, I, I thought, look, money, money, money will come. Money will come for me. It was what's going to be the quickest and best way for me to become an NRL, a, a, a rugby league player. I mean, you know, certainly it was surprisingly actually when I signed, it was under Mark Murray, the previous coach. And then two weeks later, Mark Murray gets sacked, and then they signed Craig Bellamy. <laughs> so that I sort of sold under a lucky start there. But it was it was finding the the right fit, the the right fit for for me to to achieve my goal. And and as as I said, it wasn't after money. It wasn't after. Um, you know, to be looked after. I didn't want the free gear and all that sort of stuff. That that wasn't it for me. It was about me wanting to achieve the, something that I've dreamed of ever since I was, you know, ever since I, I could, could remember. Of course, of course. So, I mean, your first thing, it must, you know, it must have worked because your first stint at the storm lasted kind of, um, you know, obviously it included, unfortunately, heartbreak in, two, in the 2006 grand final um, and then ecstasy in 2007. What What was kind of the biggest difference between those two years? Yeah, it, it was it was funny because we because two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, we got knocked out in the same point of the finals every year, like the second week of the finals. We we could get at the finals. We'd you know we'd always finish around that fifth or sixth sort of mark. We get at the finals, win the first one, get knocked out the second one, and then we we come into two thousand six, and no, no one gave us a prayer that year because we lost Matt Orford. He left his halfback, and um, so we didn't have a halfback. We had to turn a bloke into one, and that was Cooper Cronk. Mm. And um, we were just a young team. We were v- very young, actually. We, the only older blokes we sort of had was um, Matty Guy and David Kidwell. Yeah. Um, but so we were young, we were just enthusiastic, and we just played footy. And, you know, Bill Lake trained us, so we knew we were fit. We knew we were skillful. We, we, we stuck to the structures, and we played. We were in 2006. Like, we, we got on a massive roll. And I think – when it got to the grand final, we were so routine based and we knew what worked for us. We didn't want to change anything. Yeah. So we tried to treat it as just another game, and um, you know we, we were probably unlucky in that game. Um, a few refereeing decisions went against us, but in the end, we came up against the Broncos side, who at, at that stage had, had never lost a grand final. So that they showed their true class when they beat us. And I'll be honest, it was absolutely devastating. Mm. Absolutely, we, we couldn't believe it. We, we just. We just did, didn't think we'd lose. And, um, 
yeah, you know, that fire really burned. And come preseason, I mean, yeah, you know, I don't think we could have trained harder. I don't think we could have done it. But they're like, no one was beating us that year. No one was beating us. We we just we just didn't want that feeling again. Like the feeling we had when we lost just carried through us throughout the whole whole year. And I, I know it's a cliche, but it really did. I think we, we lost three games in 2007 and then we, we got to the grand final and we really embraced the grand final for what it was. Mm. You know, we, we made a big deal about it. We knew we were playing a big, uh, a, a big game. Like, yeah, it's, it's still a game of rugby league. The grass is green. There's posts at either ends, but it, it is a big game. Let's, let's enjoy it for what it is. Let's not try and brush it aside to see it as another game. No, this is a grand final. This is the game you want to win to prove that all the hard work you've done throughout the year was, was worth it. And, uh, because to be honest, if we lost that one, I don't reckon we 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 would have come back from it. But um, yeah, oh, we 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 weren't cocky or anything like that. But we just we just knew that no one was going to beat us that year. We 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 were going to take take them on the sword. Mm, I think sometimes you you definitely need that, and you know from there, kind of you only had to wait another two years for your next grand final victory. You know, surely at that point, you kind of you were almost a, a grand final veteran. Um, but, mm. but did it make it any easier for you? Um. Yeah. Look. It, look. Well. Look. The, the next year in two thousand and two thousand eight. Like we, like we we get hung up on things at, at the storm sometimes, and no team had won three minor premierships in a row. So we we went for our third minor premiership, and we put a lot of effort into getting that third minor premiership, and we we were burnt out by the end of the year. We were we we had nothing left, and um, I missed the grand final. Smithy got suspended, obviously. And we got absolutely, absolutely torched. So everyone's thinking, bang, the, the storm bubble's finished. Mm. The, the storm grand finals bubble's finished. They, they, they can't do it anymore. Season's gone. And come in 2009, we had a, a bit of an inconsistent year. And um, But just at the back end of the year, things just started to click. And we just started plodding along, plodding along. We finished fourth. And for some reason, we ended up getting a week off after the first week of the finals because we won and um, one of the two top teams lost. So we, we, we managed to, we, we managed to um, get the week off. And when you have the week off in the middle of the finals, knowing that you only got to win one more game to get to a grand final, um, you know, you, you, you know, you're doing quite well. And, mm. you know, we win that game and get to that in 2009 and our, our experience and everything shone uh, more than, more than anything in 2009. It was our fourth grand final in, in a row. And we just, we, we were quite clinical and um, you know, I, I know Parramatta came back, and you know, which which the, which they did in the last ten minutes. But we we just knew that that um, they were just a, a Jared Hayne team, and they had they, they were a team that focused on Hainsey and all their offload ability. And if we shut that down, um, that they weren't weren't going to uh, be able to beat us. Mm. I remember going to to a couple of World Club challenges, and it seemed to be that the only teams that you ever saw were Leeds against Melbourne, and. <laughs> very frustrating for me as a whole fan, but that's it. That's a different story. Yeah. Well, um, it, was, it was frustrating for us too because we wanted to play someone else besides Leeds. <laughs> yeah, don't blame me. Not everyone <sighs> wants to play Leeds, mate. It's all right. No, um, definitely not. <laughs> so, so talk me through 2010. Then, obviously, an infamous year for the Storm for obviously the wrong reasons. What what kind yeah. of what kind of went on? <laughs> yeah, it was. Um... Look, we we were, we were saying, look, we, we had a had a great World Club Challenge win uh, against Leeds, and we come back and we we started the season uh, with, with a couple of wins and and a couple of losses. We were sort of a bit going a bit ho hum, and then I remember the day it was ten years ago last week. Um, we were training and Belak wasn't at training, so we're thinking, oh, this sneaky bastard's up on the grandstand watching us. So, so we're sort of mucking around, looking around, trying to find him, and then a heap of uh, TV cameras come up and we just assumed because GI got injured the previous week, the cameras were there to see if Greg Inglis was, was going to play this week. Yeah. Next week, an hour, our footy manager, Frank Panisi runs out and said, boys, just go straight in the meeting room. Um, don't talk to anyone. Don't take your boots off. Go to the meeting room. So we're mucking around, taking the piss out of each other. And we get in the meeting room. As soon as Craig walks in, we saw his face. We, we knew something major had happened. We knew something bigger. We, we thought someone had died or mm. s- something like that. And then, and when he told us, it just the silence and the iciness in the room just like I don't think anyone breathed for, for God knows how long. And you know, when you had everything like it wasn't just the last four years, it was going back to two thousand and three, just to have that ripped from us mm. with in so quickly. There was no process no due process with it. It was just 
just bang like a guillotine, just cut, bang, done. And um, I remember we sat in that room for ages, just no one saying anything. Everyone's just quite trying to process it. And then slowly we got up, went to the showers. And I think I had a half an hour shower. I was just staring at the wall, just thinking, what, what has happened? What has gone on? And we sort of hardly spoke to each other and we basically left it and there was cameras in your face as soon as you walked out of the facility and I go home, I called my my wife and sort of told her what's happened and I sort of broke down a bit there because I actually said the words for the first time of what had happened and that's what made it really real. Yeah. And um, then I called my dad and we got home and we just switched my phone off and it was just, what do we do? What do we do? I was part of the senior leadership group. We go to Stephen Kearney's place the next, the, the, the next day. Uh, as a senior leadership group, just to try and we were there for about five hours, just talking. We're thinking, what, what are we going to do? There was some. Do we boycott the season? Do we pack up and move to the Super League? Do we? You know, who, who, what, what is the club still going to be around next week? What do we do? And the one thing we needed to focus on was what we're going to do that weekend. Uh, um, was it was the Anzac Day game, mm. which was obviously a major game in our calendar. So we thought, hang on, let's put everything aside. Let's where we've been given an honour of playing on Anzac Day. We, we've got to pay respect to that day. We've got to pay respect to the privilege that we get to play on that day. So that's the first thing. The second thing was two blokes earlier that week have been told they were going to make their NRL debuts. That was Matt Duffy and Gareth Widdop. So we thought, hang on, let's put everything, everything we've been taking away, put that aside. We've got two blokes. They're only ever going to make one debut. So we're, we're, we probably, we're going to remember this game for all the wrong reasons. We need to make sure that those two blokes are going to remember the game for the right reasons, because we this this is the most special day in their rugby league careers. We need to take aside our angst and all that sort of stuff and focus on making this a special day for Gareth and Matt, and also to pay pay respects for the for the um, for the Anzacs. And uh, obviously, in the next day, we had a training session, and we, there was that infamous sort of press conference where Craig comes out with the team behind him and. Um, you know, we trained and trained well. We, we came out the next day wondering how many people were going to turn up. We ended up getting close to 30,000 at wow. the game. We, we put the Warriors to the sword. You know, there was a lot of relief and a lot of, um, you know, sort of jubilation. And um, But that was round six. We still had another 18 games to go. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we did quite well the first couple of, First couple of games after the after got said, but you know, it ended up being a very long season. Especially we had some some away trips to some, shall we say, not nice places like <laughs> um, Parramatta and Brookvale and Leichhardt, and um, you know the abuse and everything. You know, literally people spitting and throwing things at you and being called names to your face and being people assuming all this stuff. It really really weighed on us and um, there were some very, very tough times. But um, the, the biggest thing that got shown out that year was what the Melbourne Storm was all about. Mm. We, we, we were playing for nothing, sweet bugger all. So we needed to make sure we, we wanted to give ourselves something to play for. So we linked up with a few charities and we changed charities each week and how many points we scored translated them to a donation. So we are playing for that. But also we played for the sticking up the rear hole and it was us versus the NRL. It was mm. us versus the rest of the NRL. We were going to try and screw up as many other teams' chances of making finals as possible, so we wanted to beat them. And we wanted to prove to them that money doesn't make you play better. And um, we, we wanted to prove that everything we got, especially in those four years, was all due to hard work. And yeah. we finished the season on the same amount of wins as what we did the previous year when we won the grand final. We, we would have finished fourth. And um, I, I think that was probably the most proudest achievement out of that year is that, yeah, we we didn't roll over and just take one. We actually showed a bit of grit and resilience, and I think that carried on for the for the next few years. Definitely, definitely, and I think you know you, you rightly touched on it there. With rugby league in Australia, it's it's that big. It is front and back page news. You know, you're going to get mm. a camera shoved in your face if if you've won the grand final, but you're also going to get a camera shoved in your face if if you've done something wrong. So, not I'm not saying obviously you've done anything wrong, but. That's kind of the, the best. Oh, no. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I suppose we, we want to get away from we, the club did the wrong thing. We, yeah. we are not denying that. We, do, we are not denying it. The club did, did the wrong thing. We got let down by our management, who through ego or whatever it was, broke the rules. So we, we weren't denying that we broke the rules. What frustrated us is the insinuation that the players ourselves, we purposely cheated and yeah. we purposely tried to subvert, which categorically did not happen. I don't know what Cameron Smith was on. I didn't know what Billy Slater was on. 
Um, so, and, and that, and the fact that, um, uh, you, you know, that, that we, the, the insinuation that, you know, we cheated to get what we got. We didn't cheat. We got let down by poor management of the club. The biggest thing that frustrated us was that there was no due process. There was no, there was no chance to work through it systematically. It was just one person said, bang, their, their, their punishments just take it. So we, we, I don't want to come across that we were saying, oh, we didn't do anything wrong. No, we did. We did. And, and we, we got caught and we should have been punished for that. But I don't think the punishment fitted the, the crime if you break it down into the years. Hmm. Yeah, no, agreed. And, and and like you say, if if you're not kind of aware of the situation as a as a playing group, then it's you know it comes across as it's not being fair in terms of of the punishment. Like you rightly say, mm. um, you know, obviously. So so from 2010, you then spend a year on the other side of the world, um, obviously for the famous Wigan Warriors. How did how did that come all about? Yeah, um, Michael Maguire was an assistant coach at Melbourne from 2005 to 2009, and I know Madge quite well and. Uh, Obviously, with 2010, like the club obviously had to shed some players. And um, I was in the first year of a three-year contract, so I didn't have to go anywhere. But I'd always spoken to Madge j- just in, in talking when in a hotel or whatever and saying how much I'd love to go to the Super League. I'm a massive rugby league nerd. So I was a kid that got up at 3 a.m. to watch, you know, the, the Challenge Cup final at Wembley, you know, Martin Fire running through Leeds to, to score a try. And that. I, I, remember, I remember sitting in my lounge room watching that. So I always had massive affinity wanting to go to the Super League. And obviously, Mad started coaching Wigan and he knew the situation at Melbourne. So he said, hey, mate, how would you feel about coming over for a year while, while Melbourne Storm sorts everything out? And I was like, oh, I don't know about that because at that stage, I was, I'd played Origin, but I was out and I was trying to get back into Origin. I'm thinking, if I go to Super League, does that spell the end for my Origin career? Mm. So I thought, I was umbra nara and umbra nara, but I thought, look, it might be a good idea. And I spoke to the coach and he said, mate, it's up to you. And the club said that they'd, they'd release me for a year. So I took the plunge and um, with my wife, we'd only just, we'd, we'd been married less than a year. So we thought, let's let's give, give it a go. And um, hands down, without a doubt, the best decision I ever made in rugby league. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved everything about that year. Um, yeah, my wife and I, we got to, we travelled through Europe before I, I got to Wigan. Obviously playing at, yeah, arguably the most famous club in the UK to be able to play for them with the history and everything behind it, you know, the cherry and white and to go there and be in that little, that small town atmosphere and have the whole, I really love the tribalism of the super league where it's, you know, it's where you grew up. You, you, you go for where you grow up and you follow that team. You live, you live in that town. You see the players all the time. I absolutely love that. And I remember the first day I got to um, got to Wigan, I got picked up by Sean Wayne at the uh, airport. He dropped us off at our, at our place there in in, um, in Wigan. And I thought I'd duck up to Tesco's and I'll go, go out to Tesco's to get some stuff for the house. And um, I'm there with my wife and this old, old lady comes up to me and says, oh, you look, uh, you look familiar. I said, do I? And she goes, oh, you're that." When I started speaking, she goes, oh, you're that new Australian. And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes, if you don't beat St. Helens, I'll walk you to the airport myself. I just walked <laughs> off. So I thought, right, this is what it's like playing rugby league and wicked. How good. And, um, you know, the, the players were great. The town was great. The club was great. I, I absolutely loved it. And I really, really, I suppose, would, would, have, would, have loved to, would have loved to go back. It didn't sort of pan out. But, you know, that 2010 year was really special, obviously culminating in the uh, – Challenge Cup victory at uh, at Wembley, which yeah was the big bucket list thing I wanted to tick off. My, the I wrote it down. The reason I wanted to, in terms of pros and cons of going there, was to play in a Challenge Cup final at Wembley to have that opportunity and um, to do that was oh I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about it. Yeah, it's, you know it, it really is the the grand old game, and it really is you know the epitome for me of rugby league over here. It's um, it, it might not be kind of the spectacle that it once was, but you know, I, I've watched LFC play at Wembley, yeah. you know, against Wigan in 2017, and that was just goosebump stuff. And exactly how you've just described there, and you know, from from being a kid watching, like you know, you just described Martin Fire at 3 a.m. in the morning playing for Wigan to then walk out yourself. Oh. I, I can imagine it's quite surreal. Yeah, it, look, and it was, it was also the how we got there as well. Like we uh, we played Barrow the first round, we gave them a touch up, and then. We had a bit of a scare at, Br- at um, Bradford and then we played uh, Warrington in the quarters 
at, at Warrington. And that was that crazy game where we were ahead 20 nil. Yeah, and yeah. then it got the 20 all and we ended up winning 42-20 or whatever. <laughs> and then we played Saints in the semi and we won that one in a close one. So we, we, we had to go through um, Bradford, who was in the Super League at the time, Warrington, who were right on top, you know, St. Helens major rivals and then they played Leeds in the final. And it was, um, it, it, was, uh, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. And I've, got, I've actually got a funny story. We, we beat St. Helens on, um, on the Saturday. And we went out and celebrated, and then we went to um, we went to a I think we went to the Cherry Tree in, in Wigan to watch um, Castleford play Leeds in the other semi. Anyway, Castleford looked look, look like they're going to win, and Brett Finch, who was on fire at the time, he um, he he said, "Boys, we're playing Castleford," so he orders a bottle of champagne. So I'm like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Mate, playing Castleford, we, we beat them. We've just won the Challenge Cup, boys." Oh, I was saying, Finchie, what are you doing, mate? Don't do that. Don't start celebrating. He said, Boy, boys, we're going to beat Castleford. We've won the Challenge Cup. How good's this? And anyway, Leeds come back, and I think they they win an extra time or whatever. So I, I think I thought Finchie sort of cursed us or whatever. But uh, <laughs> but it, it was it was great. Like just the, the little things, like the send off we got when um, when we left Wigan to go down to London. Um, yeah, having even. This may sound a bit weird, but having the roses delivered on game day to wear the red roses to wear in our suits to the game, you know, standing in the tunnel, going out, hearing the hymn, um, you know, and then obviously culminating and walking those very famous steps. And it's one of my proudest photos is holding the Challenge Cup at, at the, the at the top of those steps. So yeah, it was brilliant. Don't blame you. Don't blame you whatsoever. And you know, it's you are definitely amongst a, an elite group of players that that have been able to do that so it's you know yeah i'm getting goosebumps just think about it now <laughs> uh, how easy was the, the return to the storm in 2012 then yeah it, look it, i did love it but i was ready to go back because i wasn't i wasn't done in uh, in the nrl i wanted to play more rep footy i wanted to play more origin i wanted to play um i, I wanted to get, get back in the australian team and, um, yeah, you know, I, I get back to Melbourne and back then there was the stigma that once you've gone to the Super League, you wouldn't be able to go well in the NRL. Um, you know, you're sort of, that's where, that's where rugby league, I don't, I don't think it was right. Rugby league players go and don't really come back. So I come back and I had a, I had a, I had a good pre-season, I had a pre-season, I had a real zeal and, um, you know, I had, that was probably my, my best year I ever in first grade was 2012, um, Unfortunately, I missed, I missed out on playing Origin that year. I, I personally felt I was a bit unlucky, but um, you know, I was, I was playing some good foot, played some good footy for Melbourne, and you know, obviously winning the grand final. And um, at the end of 2012, just the vindication we got from for, from winning that grand final was a bit of a f you the rest of the NRL. So <laughs> you, you, you you can't get rid of us. We're still here, and there was nothing better than having. David Gallup having to hand Smithy the trophy, especially the bloke that um, put those penalties in place. We got to receive the trophy off him. But uh, yeah, look, that that was that was a really good year, and yeah, that that was a really special grand final. The best best thing I remember about that grand final was that we scored three tries that day. All of them were scored from set plays that we practiced to nauseam during the week. Uh, I managed to get the first one. Bill got the second one, and Justin O'Neill got the third. And um, yeah, you know, we played against the best attacking team all year, and we kept them scoreless in the second half. We ended up winning fourteen four, and uh, yeah, that, that that was a fantastic victory and something we were, we were very, very proud of. And um, fortunate enough to get back in the Australian team uh, at the end of two thousand twelve for for a one off test against the Kiwis. So I sort of I was really proud the way I, I come back uh, into the NRL and back in, into the Melbourne Storm and proved that you know just because you played in the Super League doesn't mean that that you can't come back and compete with the NRL's best. Agreed, agreed. And I think, you know, there's no better way, you know, than, than stamping that than kind of scoring the first try in, uh, in the grand final. How, you know, how special was that for you? Yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough. I did it a couple of years earlier in 2009 grand final as well. Pretty much the same minute in the exact same spot. <laughs> but um, the best part about it was that, you know, we'd practice that play so many sort of times. And as soon as we got down there, Gareth, Gareth Whittup called it and said, boys, we're doing this. And, um, it was one of those ones. I'm sure you know. You know you're going to score. You know you're going to score before you get past the ball. Just seeing how the defense was going, how it was going to be. We just knew. I just knew I was just going to score. And you know, you get that sort of unbelievable feelings and new beauty of you've scored and all that sort of thing. So how the play sort of works is that Gareth would play straight, a nice sort of 
instead of going inside shoulder of um, Josh Reynolds, who was in front of me, I skipped to the outside because I know Christian Inno, who was a centre, was going to jam Billy at fullback out the back. So we scored off that play. And then we kept on running the similar play for another five or six times. So Josh Reynolds is constantly tackling me on his on his outside shoulder. He's going to have to go across his body to tackle me. And then we had a play planned for this where we kept on running that play and then I'd go out and instead of passing to me, Gareth Whitt would just pop it up for Billy Slater coming between us. And we wanted to run this play, wanted to run this play, wanted to run this play. And Cooper wouldn't do it. Cooper said, no, nah, it's too risky, it's too risky. So, we, so I said, Cooper, run the freaking play. So we ran the play. Josh Reynolds absolutely flogged me. He's hammered me. But, um, you know, Billy Slater caught the ball and went all the way through. And the fact that we set him up perfectly and it was just such a perfect set play due to all the hard work that we did and went the way we set him up, that was um, that, that was a really special moment. Yeah, nothing sweeter. Nothing sweeter. Mm. Um, so obviously that then meant another World Club Challenge. Was it a little bit easier for you going again back over to Leeds? But was it a little bit easier for you having spent time in the UK? Yeah, I was I was that excited. I was that excited. I got to catch up with with um you know all my mates and um I remember there was a few of us, I think it was me, Bill, uh Finchie and Cooper Cronk. We because uh, we we based in London at the start and then came up, but we we, we all left a bit earlier because we wanted to go watch um, we caught the train from London up to Huddersfield to watch Huddersfield played Wigan and um you know, it, it was it was great to get, especially with Finchie as well. Like he'd um, he'd played at Wigan the previous year, so to be able to go out and watch Wigan play and see all the Wigan fans again, and you know, catch up with the boys, it, it was really good. And they um, quite a few of the Wigan guys actually came over for the World Club Challenge game over over at Headingley, and um, they'd all loaded up on me to be first try scorer. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember the game, but I actually I made a break right at the start of the game, and. Um, I made a break and I drew him past the fullback and gave it to Bill and Bill scored the first try of the day. And the amount of abuse I copped from those boys for not for not throwing a dummy, so I could have got me his first try scorer. But uh, no, nah, look, it was it was great to head back there. And um, unfortunately, that that was the last time I was I was in England. Of course, no, of course it would have been. Mm. But I mean, you then obviously I know we're kind of skipping here, but 2015 you did move to another country. Um, you know, this time obviously you moved to the, the New Zealand Warriors. How did that come about? Yeah, I was um, I was coming off contract at the end of 14 and um, I, I was just assuming I was just going to re-sign in Melbourne and I was going to re-sign in Melbourne. But um, out of nowhere, the Warriors come up and made an offer and, um, you, you know, you, you get... Earlier in my career, I sort of said that, you know, I was going for opportunity and the best place for me, a rugby league player. But, you know, I I'd, I'd just had my first son and um, I realised that, um, you know, you, you need other other things in life as well. And I got an offer from the Warriors that was way too good to refuse. Um, it was for an extra year and it was for, for, for a bit more cash. And so it, it was way, way too good to refuse. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was another adventure as well. And my wife and I had enjoyed our first adventure to the UK. So we decided to, to, to give it another go and head over to, to New Zealand. And, um, look, we, we loved New Zealand. We really did. We really did. Um, I'll be honest, football was tough. Um, but in terms of the people and the club, and I'll tell you what, if rugby league gets going in New Zealand, the Warriors will be the biggest rugby franchise in the world. I'm talking rugby league and rugby union because they, they, they've got a whole country behind them. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it was a really regret of mine that I, d- I d- didn't take the team to the finals um, because that, that's what I got brought over to do. So I sort of failed in what I was brought to the Warriors to do. But um, I l- learned a lot about myself as a player, learned a lot about myself as a leader. And, um, you know, I, I, I got experience that I think is, is certainly helping me in, uh, in, the, in the, the next stage of my life. Mm, no, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and obviously, your 250th NRL appearance came playing for the Warriors, but against the Storm. I mean, what was that like? Yeah, it was it was crazy. <laughs> it was um, just the way the way it worked out. Um, I'd played every single one of my milestone games in in Melbourne, and <laughs> um, yeah, for the Warriors, for the Warriors, it was for uh, obviously the 250 was for the Warriors back in Melbourne. But yeah, that was just a crazy. Crazy coincidence, um, you know. It was special to be there, especially be, um, you know my, my wife's family from Melbourne, so I have them there. Mum and dad came down, so uh, it was it, it was really really interesting. We got beaten, unfortunately, the first time I lost a lost a milestone game, which was a bit disappointing. But uh, 
Nah, look, it, it was only Anzac Day too, and Anzac Day is obviously a, a very special day between the Warriors and the Storm. Yeah. No, of course, of course. I mean, I was actually informed by the guys at um, another podcast, Any Given Monday, that you're actually the only, I don't know if you're aware, but you're the only New Zealand warrior to actually play for, for New South Wales. So, so. Oh, really? Okay. That's one for your uh, for your record books. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, how easy how easy was the decision for, for one last year at the Storm? Yeah, it was, it was, it, it was funny. Like, I, I got told from the Warriors I wasn't required anymore and, I actually got approached from Steve Mack at the uh, at Catalans, right? And uh, I was I was I was ready to go. I was, we pretty much had our bags bags packed, ready to go. But um, they they were looking at relegation at the time, and that they couldn't guarantee my contract regardless of relegation. And um, it was a unfortunately I, could, I couldn't take the risk just with the with the family situation and, and all that sort of stuff. It was too big a risk. And, you know, they ended up going on the million-pound game and they won, they stayed up. But so that, that, that was disappointing. We, we would have loved the experience to play in France. Um, and then when, when that sort of fell through, um, the Warriors came up and said, look, we, we'd, we'd love to have you back. Um, I'd, I'd always known that I'd have a job there for when I retired. Mm. So part of my last year was playing, but also – I was um, I was working sort of what one day a week, um, to, just to sort of get my foot, foot in the foot in the, in the door of a job. So, yeah, it was it was an easy decision in the end to, to come back to Melbourne. I admit I was uh, disappointed that the Catalans thing fell through. I would, would have loved to go back to the back to the Super League, but you know I would had a pretty blessed career to this stage. So yeah, got got to play my final year in Melbourne. That, that was a big thing too. I wanted to give myself the best opportunity to hopefully play in a grand final team to finish off my career and uh, to play, uh, to finish my career in the club, you know, where it started. Yeah, of course. And, and like you say there, you know, you, you're kind of thinking ahead. You've, you've set yourself up an opportunity to to kind of settle your family down eventually and, and stay in Melbourne. But obviously, in between all of this, of course, you represented New South Wales. Your dad, a former Maroon, how did he take the news when <laughs> you got the call up? Yeah, it was it was funny, look, because um, yeah, d- dad played for Queensland, but I'd never lived in Queensland. I don't I'd really lived in New South Wales, so I didn't see myself as anything but a New South Welshman. Um, I'd actually did play Queensland 19s, Queensland on the 19s, due to the fact that when I was playing at Melbourne, I'd played some games for their feeder club, which is based in Queensland. So technically, I was eligible for, to play for Queensland. So the Queensland Rugby League put a dispensation in for me to the ARL to see if I'd be eligible for the for Queensland Maroons uh, due to my dad. But I actually knocked it back because it didn't feel right. I didn't feel like I was a Queenslander. And I was a New South Welshman. I wanted to play for New South Wales. So I was, um, you know, I got to play my first Origin Series in 2007. I played 2007, 2008, then had a five-year hiatus <laughs> where, uh, where I got left out of the Origin team. And, uh, yeah, came back in 13 and um, achieved something in 2014, which I never thought, I never, th- I, I, I honestly thought that'd be the one thing in rugby league I miss out on. That'd be, I, I was, I've been lucky in my career. I've managed to tick off everything I wanted to do in rugby league, and I thought winning an Origin series was going to be the one that got away. But um, yeah, we uh, managed to get away with the series win in 2014, and I tell you, that, that was one, that was a really special moment. Yeah, but it was. I mean, I'm a, uh, I'm a maroon, but I'm sure you won't hold that against me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. <laughs> Is is there any words that can describe kind of what state of origin is like? Nah, no, nah, it's a, it's a, it's a completely separate beast. The fact that that is just you know I know other sports and other countries can't believe it that you know a club side pays us but they let us go away and play the hardest game possible happily, you know. So it's it's crazy like that, but it, it's it's funny like. Yeah, you know, you're playing against teammates, and you know Cameron and Bill and Cooper. That they, they're three of my closest friends. Like two, two of them were, were groomsmen at my wedding. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, I've, I've known them for a very long time. And but when you play, you're not playing against them. You're playing against the jersey. Yeah. But I have to admit, if you get a chance to get hold of them, you probably give them something a bit extra because you can't tackle them at training. So you might as well give them something when you get to play against them. <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah, it was great playing against them. But to, to sum up the character of those blokes, in 2014, when, when we beat them to win this, to win this series um, and to break the streak, and that's, that's something I'm very proud of as well, to be part of, like Other New South Wales teams have won series, but we were the one that broke that streak. Yeah. But after, after that game too, when we won, 
three of them, all three of them to a man come up to me and just said how, you know, congratulations would just say that like they were really happy for me. They, they, they took away their sort of personal feelings and just as a mate, they sort of said how happy they were because they, they knew how much it meant to me. They know the sort of hard way, heartache we've been through the previous years. So to sum them up as people to come up to and say, look, we, we're hurting, but we know how much this means to you and you're, you're a close friend. So that, that sort of summed up and that sort of summed up origin to me. Once the game's finished, you, you let it go. It's done. Mm. Yeah. You play hard, you built the shit out of each other. Sorry. Uh, and, but, but, um, but you, but, you know, in the end, the game's done and, you know, you, sh- you show respect for, for the game for what it is and that, that's what they do. And I'd like to think oh, I d- did the same thing when they won series. I was very gracious to them. Definitely. And I think, you know, 2014, it certainly looked like it, that was kind of the year that started to turn the tide a little bit with, with Queensland from, from my perspective. But that's a, a, a slightly different story. Um, mm. <laughs> but obviously... Repped your country, I think it was six times. Um, so obviously repped Australia. You know how proud are you? Of you how proud of that are you? And kind of favourite memory in the green and gold. Yeah, well, playing um, playing for Australia for me was the pinnacle of my rugby league career. Yeah, to know that you're in the best seventeen players in the country was something really special. And I, I certainly think the pinnacle was playing in the centenary test at the SCG um, against the Kiwis in 2008. It was the centenary of rugby league in Australia. Yeah. So they played, they played, you know, they hadn't played at SCG for a long time at that stage. So to play a test match at the SCG, the famous old ground and, you know, against New Zealand. Um, yeah, the best moment was, was you walk out of the, um, the members change rooms and you actually walk through the crowd to get onto the field. Yeah. And it was a real squash to get through and, yeah, the guard of honour from all the um, from the team of the century. So you got legends of rugby league there. It was a real, really special feeling, and uh, that that for me was the, the pinnacle of of playing for Australia. I got to play go on a couple of tours, which which was great. But um, yes, yeah, certainly that game in two thousand eight was uh, the, my, my most special in the green and gold. Yeah, it was a hell of a game. That was, I think, that was the um, that that kind of flip back from GI was just unreal and then yeah. the, the touchline conversion from JT it was just it was crazy yeah it was it was one of those I, I can still picture that clear as a bell I'm thinking oh, Christ this has gone dead I started running back and I just look over my shoulder the next thing you know, GI is flicking it back so, yeah everyone was surprised but we, we used to see stuff from, like from, from that GI day in day out at training you know I've never seen a bloke do so well without trying as, as hard oh mate he's a freak he is a yeah, freak absolutely so I'm going to do a, uh, a quick fire with you. Um, so yep. some questions from the listeners, if that's all right with yourself. Yep. Um, so the first one comes from Alex Duff, who's based in Ireland. Who are the best players that you've played with and against? Um, look, the, the best player I've played with is Cameron Smith. Like he is, he, he is out and out the best footballer I've ever, ever, I've ever played with. He was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And he still is. And that just sums him up. Yeah. Billy Slater, Cooper Cronk, fantastic players, but Cameron Smith is a bloke who decided to get them the ball. They don't get the ball unless Smithy decides. So Smithy was a bit, the most talented was uh, is Greg Inglis, without a doubt, without a doubt. So look, and best players I played with Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, Cooper Cronk, GI, and definitely Sean O'Loughlin. Sean O'Loughlin is in my top five every day of the week. Wow. He is, he is, my, I, I don't, he does not get the respect in the rugby league world that he should, but he is an absolute legend of our game. One of the most talented, best players I play like he could do it he could do it all I really wish he would have come to the NRL so the NRL could have seen just what a brilliant player he is and, and a fantastic leader as well I put him on par with Cameron Smith in terms of leadership wow wow that's a, a big call cool. um so the next question actually comes from my fiance because she sent it me on Instagram rather than telling me <laughs> um, so Katie asks what what was the biggest achievement in your career um Oh look, that's a tough one because I've I've got I've got so many. Um, look, uh, per- person in terms of personal achievement, like something I did playing three hundred games was special to be the I think I was the twenty seventh person to play three hundred NRL games, and you know I played another um, thirty five games for for Wigan, so I'm, I'm getting close to three hundred first class games if you throw an Origin and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, to my my, my longevity is something that's it's been a highlight for me but certainly team wise it was winning challenge cups grand finals and, and origins like i put bang those one one two three grand finals challenge cups origins 
fair enough. Yeah, can't argue. I mean, like you say, one of the things with the longevity, I mean, you, you spent kind of 15 years in, in top flight rugby league. It's, you know, it's unheard of, um, especially nowadays with kind of the, the collision of the actual sport as well. So it's, you know, hats off to you for that, mate. Um, mm. So the next question actually comes from Greece. It comes from the Athens Raiders. Um, they're asking, what are NRL forwards eating? Um, and what do you do for, for kind of skill training over and above kind of, you know, your team training? Eating, well, boys are eating, the boys are eating a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we're, we're on very high, pro- boys that have a very high protein um, so, sort of sort of diet because they, they need that high protein and, and everything. They probably cut down the carbs a bit. It comes down to a bit of player-by-player player sort of um, situation. Me as a player, I struggled to keep weight on. So I had very high protein. Um, I, I used to be quite a bit of carbs as well just to, just to try and keep that weight on. But you get a bloke like Nelson Asafa Solomona, we, we, we don't want him in too many carbs. So it's really a player-by-player player sort of basis. In terms of skill, um, we, we, do a, we just do a, a lot of passing. We, we, we break passing down. What we passing just from the hip, just moving your arms, pointing your hand to the target. Like it's simple, it's monotonous, but if you keep doing it over and over again, I mean, the difference between you catching a pass right in front of you and you having to reach up high or catch a bit behind your shoulder or a bit low, that, that, that can bugger up a whole play. So it's getting that, those simple sort of passing directly into the chest and catching the ball off the chest, they're, they're the, the biggest things that you know we focus on skill-wise because it's it's the, the most important. Yeah, I think the basics are um, very underrated. And I think kind of from an amateur rugby league perspective, a lot of people, they kind of forget about the basics. And, you know, they, they watch the NRL, they watch the Super League and they go, yeah, but it, it looks dead easy. But like you say there, it's only easy if you've got the discipline to do it. Um, yeah, yeah, and and that's and look, you, you'll, you'll if you ever come to Melbourne Storm training, you'll see every player do that that sort of training uh, before and after. Just a simple passing from the hip directly to the chest, just doing that over and over and over again. It's just become. I think the boys are doing it without even th- thinking they're doing it. And when you watch a Melbourne Storm game, you, you can see our plays. Like a lot of tries that Storm scores is only because the passes were out in front and the boys were catching on the chest. They wouldn't be able to score it otherwise because if a pass was behind them, it would have screwed up everyone's timing and, you know, you wouldn't be able to get Josh to score a try in the corner because, you know, the defence would have had time to get across. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So Paul Stockman wants to know, what is the best tour slash away trip story that you can tell? And don't worry, because um, the podcast is rated explicit, so it's whatever. Okay. <laughs> All right. The two thousand, the two thousand and thirteen World Cup Challenge trip is the best trip I have been on, bar none, in terms of a rugby league team. We, uh, the, the best thing I remember, we played, we played Leeds, so we we finished, uh, we we beat Leeds. We had a good night that night. Most of the boys went all the way through, and the next day we were heading down to London um, to have another night out in, in London, but. We were going to a QPR game uh, because we had a hookup with QPR. They were playing Manchester United. So we get on the train um, from Leeds to go to London and most of the boys had carried on from the night before. So we're just sitting in the sort of restaurant cart and the boys are going off. Like we're singing, we're chanting, boys are drinking. It's hot as hell because it's cold outside. So a lot of the heat is on. So the boys are stripping off down their singlets and everything and carrying on. Anyway, we drink the restaurant, we drink the train dry. And um, and so we get off and we go to this QPR game. Ryan Giggs had actually come and spoke to us earlier the previous week. So we were sort of going for Man United, but we'd been given tickets from QPR. So a few boys head in the gate and they're wearing Man United shirts and security just pounces on them. So boys, you've got to cover them up. You can't come in here wearing that. But that's the away team set. You've got to go sit, but I want to stay with my team. So all right, you've got to cover up your jerseys. So anyway, we cover up our jerseys and we go and sit in the grandstand. And... Um, Manchester United score, and a few of the boys had loaded up on a multi for um, uh, for Man United to win by two goals and to Ryan Giggs to score. So Man United scored the first goal, so half of our boys just erupt and start cheering and carrying on. Next thing we know, we've got all these Man, uh, QPR fans walking up and down the aisle looking at us. We're thinking, oh, this is a bit funny. And they start abusing us. One bloke's coming down, talking on a mobile phone, just looking at us. And next thing we know, we're surrounded by security. And it gets to half time, and we're like, Hey boys, we're going to have to leave this. We had one of our players, Junior Moores, who's actually I think still playing at Castleford. 
he got bailed up in the toilets. Two guys wanted to have a go at him at the tours because they thought we were man- all Manchester United supporters and they wanted to have a go at us. So anyway, so we leave and um, we, we go up to this pub up the road where we'd organised to have a dinner. And we go in the pub and the publican gets off the phone and says, boys, if you want to stay alive, you better leave this joint right now because there's a whole bunch of QPR, fan, QPR fans following you and they come here. So we bolt to the train station, hop on the train station, go to um, the walkabout at Shepherd's Bush and we end up watching the rest of the game. Man United end up winning by two goals and Ryan Giggs scores the last goal. So the boys have won something like 7,000 quid on this multi. So we're going off thinking this is fantastic. Ended up going out having having a great night and that, that just goes down as as one of the most craziest bets, best sort of away trips I think I've, I've ever sort of been on the time we nearly got beaten to death at QPR. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not your typical uh, typical away uh, <laughs> story, I suppose. It's, you know, it's more akin to, I suppose, going to watch, you know, Canterbury Bulldogs or something like that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah it's Parramatta <laughs> or something like that. And you're yeah. sitting the Parramatta supporter wearing a, wearing a Canterbury jumper. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't do that. Um, so Carl Stevenson wants to know who was you your uh, your rugby league hero growing up? Yeah, be, being a um, growing up in Canberra Raider man, it was um, Bradley Clyde and David Ferner. Obviously, back, back where I was themselves, I just um, yeah, Bradley Clyde. I think I was at the '89 Grand Final when Canberra beat Balmain, and I think Brad Clyde won the Clive Churchill as a as a 19 year old in in uh, in that in that team, and I remember. Seeing that, and yeah, he was something very special. And then I went to the '94 Grand Final when Canberra beat the Bulldogs, and da- David Ferner had a had a blinder that day. And um, yeah, the, I, I love watching those guys play. And when I got later on my career, especially when I moved to Melbourne, Steve Kearney was a real sort of idol of mine, a bloke who I I followed him around like a lost puppy dog. To be quite <laughs> to be quite honest, my my first couple of years at Melbourne, I just followed him. I picked his brain. He probably got sick of me. I ended up rooming with him. So everywhere he went, I was I was following him because you know he was the ultimate professional in my in my eyes, and I wanted to be like him. Agreed, agreed. I think he's uh, I think he's definitely goes down as one of the all time greats for me. You know, he, he spent a year over here, and it, watching him play was just phenomenal. And and going into coaching and and everything that he did, he was certainly kind of that player that I looked up to. You know, when I was a kid, and exactly how you just described there, he was so professional and his skill set was just unreal and, you know, he, he has such a rugby league brain as well. He's, he's just an incredible guy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, Carl also wants to know, who would you rather have on your team, Jonathan Thurston or Cooper Cronk? Uh, look, I'd, I'd have to say, I'd have to say Cooper because Cooper suited the way I played. Um, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, J- JT was a fantastic player and I got to play a couple of um, uh, t- tests with him. But Cooper really suited the way I played. So Thursday likes to roam around the whole field and pop up every now and then, whereas Cooper was quite structured and played very straight. And he's really set up the way I, I like to run a hole. He he would go to the line to you and cop a hell of a whack to be able to put you through a hole. And, um, you know, I, I, I love playing with him because he, he suited my, my game perfectly. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I suppose obviously he spent a bit more time with Cooper as well. So it, it became a, you know, more in sync with him as well. Yeah. Look, in the end, he didn't have to tell me. He just, he used to give me a look or raise an eyebrow or something. And I knew which hole he, he wanted me to run and, and, and all that. We, we, we had a really good sort of relationship because, you know, we started playing together in 2003. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah, definitely. So this is a bit of an odd one. It comes from Liam Mulhall, who's actually been a guest on the podcast before. So he, He's um, he spent a bit of time playing in Australia. I think he played for for Ipswich. He played over at Western uh, Western Reds as well. Yep. Um, he's actually going to coach Delaware uh, in America this year if if it gets going. But he actually wonders if you remember the car accident um, that your mum and dad had on the way to one of your games. Yes, because uh, he was one of the firefighters that actually helped them out. Oh, you're joking? Yeah, no, I remember that was two years ago. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember that. That was. Um... That was insane because I'm, I remember getting a weird phone call from from my parents. I'm thinking, what's going on? And they told me that they had a car accident and had to go to the hospital. I think my mum mum fractured her sternum and everything. Well, geez, that's a that's crazy. Yeah, no, he because obviously you know I, I kind of put the feelers out there to get a few questions from from a few people and I speak quite often with Liam and 
you know, he kind of put it out there and he says, you know, are you speaking to speaking to Ryan a little bit later on? I says, yeah. He says, I'll oh, just ask him about this. So yeah, well, because uh, I, th- I think he's uh, he's up in Queensland, so it must have been kind of Brisbane or, or yeah. Gold Coast or something. Like it, it was, it was. I remember we we just I played a game against Cronulla, and um, and I found it surprising that mum and dad did, didn't contact me before the game, and then yeah, they, they didn't want to tell me they'd been in a car accident, so. Yeah, small world. If you see him, make sure if you talk to him again, make sure you tell him thanks. <laughs> no, I will do. I will do. Um, so Travis McGuigan, um, another guy who's an Aussie who who will be coaching in America this year again. Um, he wants to know outside of rugby league, what sport contributed most to your skill set? Geez, that's a really good question. Um, look, I. I Maybe not to to my, to my skill set, but certainly to my mentality and drive. I'm a big fan of US sports. I love I love American American football and um, and especially college fo- football. And I'm a really strong follower. And I, I love I love the mindset of their teams and and a few of their players. So that that that's that's a that's a sport I, I got right into. And uh, I and I, I, I still am like I follow the NFL draft um, re- religiously. And um, I, I really wanted to take like ideas and training methods of, of, of those guys, especially what they do in the combine to prepare myself for, for this, for the start of the year. So I, I, you know, scour the internet to see what, how players are training just for, for something different. So certainly in the speed aspect, I used to like to follow the, um, especially linebackers and running backs, just that explosiveness. Um, you know, I, I think that that contributed a lot. Yeah. It's a hell of a game. I mean, who, who do you follow in the NFL? Look, I don't really have an NFL team. I've got a college team. I'm a massive fan of the USC Trojans. I, I just, I just love the game. I, I just love the game. Like I've, I've been to, I, I, I try to get to America every year. America is my one of my most favorite places in the world. And you know, I managed to, I got to the Jets Patriots game last year. The year before that, I went out to Green Bay to watch a game. So I've been to quite a few games, and I, I just, I just lo- love watching. Um, I got to spend a couple of days at the New Orleans Saints facility a few years ago um, in a PD trip. So, um, you know, I've, I can't really say I've got a favourite NFL team, but definitely got a favourite college team. No, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, it's uh, it's a sport I actually started playing a little bit of last year. And, you know, I thought from, from a rugby league background, I thought, oh, you know, I suppose I was a bit naive and, and sort of thought it would be a bit easy to play. And, you know, it's a completely different game. Yeah. Um, and I, I certainly got a shock, you know, and people kind of talk about pads and everything like that and they don't hit as hard. Trust me, they do. <laughs> um, I, I think people have no self-preservation when they're wearing a set of pads. So nah. I think that's that's one of the biggest differences. Definitely. So the last question comes from Big Al then. Um, so you want to know what was the biggest difference in culture between the Storm and the Warriors? Look, the biggest the biggest difference is, is that the the Storm culture got built over many, many years. So the, the the storm had one coach from 2003 to now. They've only had the one coach. So th- we've been able to build on Craig's um, culture and Craig's, you know, Craig put the seeds into the culture when he first came in 2003. Then the players themselves took control of it and evolved it from there. So we've really had no change in the message. Like there, there's like the 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 crux of what we're about here is storm is, you know, we work harder th- than anyone else. And we have higher standards. So we've been able to build on that culture year in, year out from 2003. Unfortunately for the Warriors, I think that they've had something like seven coaches in 12 years. So each year when they get a new coach, they're going back to square one. And, you know, I, I really feel for them. I really feel for, for a lot of their players, especially in their formative years, having a different coach and getting a different message the whole time. It, it does make it tough. Um, that's why I, I hope they stick with Stephen Kearney so he can build a culture. He can try and build something like... Culture, it's very, very hard to get, but it's very easy, easy to lose. So we, it's, it's maintaining those standards and keep, keeping them going week in, week out, which, um, which can only be done if the players have had that buy-in and it's been ingrained in the players from having um, a coach that, um, that, that has been given the time to provide that. Definitely. And, you know, I think Stephen Kearney, you know, need, like you say, there needs to be given the time. And do you think he's kind of, going to be allowed to bring a little bit of, of his own culture and a little bit of from the storm with him or oh look i i think that definitely what what he learned at the storm as a player and as a coach is is definitely influential in his coaching style 
Um, yeah, he, he, he's, he's done a few other things as well because, yeah, you know, look, what what gets done at the Melbourne Storm, it isn't, it might not be right, it might not be perfect, it just works for, for the Melbourne Storm. So that's why you, mm. you need to take d- different things and um, different sort of philosophies to find out what's going to work for you. You can't just, yeah, pick up the Melbourne Storm, put different jerseys on them and, and ha- had it somewhere else. It doesn't work that way because, you know, what Craig does, as I say, might not be perfect and it might not be right, but it's what's right for, for the Melbourne Storm. Yeah, and that's that's definitely fair enough. You know, like I say, each club's going to have its own culture. It's going to have its own uh, history. And like I say, what works in one place, you know, might not work in Sydney, for example. It might not work in North Queensland or, or whatever it is. Um, but look, mate, I'm going to leave this one here. Um, and I'm going to let you obviously get back to your family because um, I've stolen far too much. Oh, good. Um, but I can sit here and ask you questions all day. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but as always, the guest gets the final say. Um, you know, is there anything that you want to mention or any advice you want to give to young players? Oh, look, the, 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 bigger, the biggest thing I, I, I feel that, um, that you get pl- with, with young players is ma- make sure you love doing it. It's the easiest job in the world if, if, if you love it. And I, I think, yeah, it's a great opportunity to be a professional rugby league player. But in the end, you're, you're, you're still playing a game. You're still, like, the players playing today are playing the exact same game they are playing at five years old with their best friends. So make sure you still have, have that enjoyment. And if you're not getting enjoyment out of rugby league, find what's going to help you get that, that, that enjoyment back. Because rugby league is a great game. It can teach you so much. But remember, it is a game. It is a game. And enjoy it for, for what it is. No, great advice. Great advice. Look, thanks so much for coming on. No, pleasure. Uh, genuinely, you know, genuinely really appreciate your time. Um, and, you know, you, I'm going to put out there a, a legend of the game and a legend for coming on, mate. No, mate, look, absolute pleasure. Of, um, to, thanks, for, thanks for inviting me, to be quite honest, to, to, to be, be involved. I've listened to a few of your, uh, of your podcasts and they've been great. And, um, you yeah, know, d- d- definitely all the best. And th- thanks again.